remember a writer named Annie Dillard. She wrote a book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. It's a beautiful book on her time living in nature. If you haven't read it, uh, it's an old book now, but I highly recommend it. She also wrote another book called The Writing Life, which was a New York Times bestseller. And in that book, she said, The life of sensation is the life of greed. It requires more and more. The life of the spirit requires less and less. So listen to that one more time. The life of sensation is the life of greed. It requires more and more. The life of the spirit requires less and less. And if I were writing that, I would say the life of the spirit requires less and less and less and less and less. She encouraged us in that book, The Writing Life, to measure our lives by presence, not by productivity. Think about that for a minute. When was the last time that you measured your day, whether or not this was a good day, by productivity? I'll tell you when mine was. It was today. And then when was the last time you measured your life by presence? Well, I actually have quite a few days like that, so I feel kind of happy about that. But it wasn't so long ago that that wasn't the case. So imagine what it would be like to have a life that was measured by presence, not by productivity. Imagine the ease and the spaciousness and the joy that could be there. I think if ever there was a time and will be a time in our lives when we could make an effort to measure our life by presence, it could be right now during the pandemic. What if we got smaller and smaller and smaller and better and better and better, not bigger and bigger and bigger and worse and worse and worse, which has been our trajectory to date as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I think that's an interesting experiment, and I encourage you even to try just a day that's measured by presence rather than productivity. So what is it with us? We are a nation of people obsessed with productivity. What drives that obsession? I have looked at that for a very long time, for years. And I've come to the conclusion that the thing that drives our obsession with productivity is fear. What's afraid? It's the self or the ego that's afraid. Our ego, our self is on a mission to be large. And it not only wants to be large, it wants to be large and in charge. And in order for you to do that, you need to identify with the most number of things possible. So to identify, to think that you are your ideas, your relationships, your stuff, your looks, your money, even your opinions, your art, your car, your vacations, the shrubs in front of your house, your job, your kids, your everything. And to pretend, you must pretend that you are those things. So every time you get more of any of those things, you are large and in charge. 
So what we know as practitioners is that once we've identified all that territory, now the self says that's not really quite enough and it wants you to expand it. And if you don't know, if you're a practitioner, you know this, but if you're not Buddhist, I'll let you know that from a Buddhist perspective, it will never be enough. No, that's the karma of being a human being. No matter how smart, how beautiful, how skinny, how much you married up, no matter what degree, what condo, what sports car, no matter how your kids turn out, your ego will not rest. It will never be enough. It's like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirsty you get. And yet this is one of the great, hmm, one of the great tricks of being a human being is we are drawn along with, uh, by the proverbial carrot that if I just do this, if I just get this, if I just arrive somehow, that it will finally be enough and I'll be safe and happy. So once we've defined and enlarged that territory and made it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, the ego now wants you to defend it. Of course, if it's yours, you have to protect it. It's mine, which means it's not yours. What's mine is mine and what's yours is mine if I want it or need it. So you see where that leads. This is the seed of human suffering. As long as you live in a human body, that urge, that restlessness to have more and better and bigger will arise. You don't have to act on it, of course. But unless you really rigorously train yourself out of that mindset, you will succumb to that suffering every day of your life. That suffering is the underpinnings of low self-esteem, poor self-confidence, arguments, riots, even war. We must have everything. We must be right. And being right will not be enough. We need to be right even at the expense of other people's well-beings. And as if that wasn't enough, a little bit right is not good enough. We need to be the final, end-all, be-all, top-of-the-heap right. And that's not the end of it. We are also unlikely to acknowledge that even if we are right, others might hold down some piece of that rightness, some piece of the truth too. And we don't want that to happen. We want to be right, which makes everybody else wrong, not shared right, not community right, but I'm right, you're wrong. Even though, in the case of profound truth, it's almost always the case that there are many on the other hand, and on the other other hand, and on the other 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 hands. And to complicate all of that, there's this other dynamic of self or ego. When we've finally gotten things just how we want them, we need those circumstances to be indestructible. We need them to be permanent. You know, I just, I married the right person, and now I want to be married to that person forever. And since they're right in the way that they are right now, they must never change. I mean, it sounds funny, right, when we say it? But this is how we live. People say that all the time. You're not the person I married. How long have you been married? 20 years. Well, 
right. We want to be forever perfectly married, forever love, forever smart, forever number one. But not only is it not possible to be forever number one from a Buddhist perspective, it's not possible to be forever anything. It's also not possible to be forever sick or forever without a job or forever anything, forever nothing, not a single thing, not one thing. Pretty much everything that you as a human being see or hear or smell or taste or touch is made up of a collision of causes and conditions. So this thing causes that, and if the conditions are right, then this other thing happens. So a rainbow, for example, we need water droplets and sun and a few other things I don't know. Uh, and when those things come together just right, then you get a rainbow. Or water, for example. Well, you got to have hydrogen and oxygen, and I don't know what the conditions are, but they have to be right. And then the hydrogen and oxygen combine, two to one, and you get water. You want to have a family. you got to have some parents. you got to have a kid or some kids or a dog or something. And whenever anything in this human realm comes together in a matrix of causes and conditions like that, in pieces, you could say, there's the possibility. In fact, there's the probability. In fact, it's really the certainty that it will come apart. If one tiny thing in nearly an infinite matrix of things changes, the whole thing will come apart. And it does. In fact, you look around right now and you look in the room where you are and you tell me one thing in the room where you are that's not like that. It's all going to change. In fact, it's all already changing. It wasn't ever not changing. When you had that couch for five minutes, it was changing. And now that you've had it for 10 years, it's changed a lot. And it's nothing like it was 10 years ago, like me or maybe like you. <laughs> right? And the land and the people and all of societies are like that. Everything is always changing. I mean, look outside the window, the weather. And you know what about all of that change? We can't change that. That is a fact of life. Even if the Democrats and the Republicans and all the independents got together, even if the people who didn't vote all got together and voted with the people who did vote, nothing could change that. Change is just a fact. And at some level, the ego knows that, and it feels at risk because it wants to get everything together in a way that feels safe and happy. And once it does get it together, I mean, for sure, we do have times, right, when we feel safe and happy. But when it gets it together like that, it doesn't want it to change. And that's not what's going to happen. And so we're like a nervous thief, you know. We've gotten everything together. We've earned things and built things and stolen things. And we've made a rock-solid case for I, me, and my being number one. But as soon as we do that, we're at risk of slipping to number two any second. And then it's all downhill from there, number three, number four, you know. Pretty soon it's real trouble.
Ego wants to enlarge its wealth at all costs. And at the same time, it knows that whatever bounty it accumulates will be stolen or will fall apart or will get lost because everything that's built up falls down. Everything, every single thing that's born will die. Every meeting, all meetings, all coming together of beings will end in parting. And every single thing accumulated will at some point be dispersed, even if you have it all your life and you love it. Every day, the day you die, it becomes not yours. So underneath, even the most peaceful and calm exterior, there's always a kind of anxiety, a kind of restless movement. Even the most successful people I know always confess to some sense of not being quite enough or not even close to enough or not having enough or not knowing enough or not doing enough. So we are restless, restless, restless. We are driven by the sense that we must keep moving, building, protecting. We've got to keep it all together no matter what it takes. Even if it kills us, and it does. It does. Little by little, sometimes all of a sudden. Even if we have to kill others, we're willing to do it. And here's a really crazy thing. Even if you were the only person on the planet and you had the whole beautiful, glorious planet to yourself, you would still feel that way. So this does not come from other people. I mean, yes, they influence it, but even without them, we would still have this underlying drive to do, be, get, have. That's crazy. That's kind of the definition of crazy. Think about it. Many of us have so much more than we need. I know I do. Uh, more than we need to just get by. And yet we're willing to make others go without basic necessities like food and water so we can get even more. So we can drive more, buy more, have bigger houses, bigger stuff, new clothes, all of that. That sense that things are falling apart, that any minute we're not going to be okay, will plague us forever. What we want always is to just keep it together. Some people say, <laughs> I love this, I just want to keep it together until I die. But we're, we're worried about dying too. How crazy is that? When you're dead, you're dead. What we need is indestructible ease, vajra ease, unshakable ease. Something we can use when that sense of everything is falling apart starts to plague us. So could we get that? Is there a way that a human being can have that? When things are falling apart, what should we do? What could we do to feel indestructible, unshakable ease and joy? Well, this is ironic. When things fall apart, if you want to feel ease and joy, you have to let them fall apart. Just let it be. And you have to put your awareness right there and not hide out from the fact of the falling apart. And if you go crazy, you need to watch yourself go crazy. 
and to not act it out with the usual strategies of shopping or arguing or whatever it is, but you just need to rest your attention right there and watch the whole light show happen. Why? Because that's the nature of life and we can't change it. Things come into being and they change and then eventually they change so much that the thing isn't even the same thing anymore. And we have to let that happen. We have to be present with it happening. So here's the good news. There is so many opportunities. There are so many opportunities every single day to practice this. Hundreds and thousands of times we practice it until it sinks in, until we see, yeah, this is the truth. This is the only thing that ever happens. Things arise and they come together and they fall apart. There's never been a day in the history of humankind when the sky didn't change during the day. There's never been a day since the day you were born, even before you were born, when your body woke up and went to bed with the same cells. So what we need to see, we need to watch it hundreds and thousands of times in this process of change, of flow, this river of flux, which is totally normal. It's how things are. And we need to see that at the end of that or in the middle of that, we're okay. We're just okay. It might be painful. I'm not saying it won't be painful. But I'm just saying it might take a while, but we're going to survive. We're going to get over it. And the truth is, even if we died, we're okay. Only if we develop this indestructible presence to be present with the fact that all things are of the nature to fall apart will we get to see and experience the one thing, the one thing that doesn't. The thing that doesn't fall apart, it doesn't change. The thing that was never born and so will never die. And that is the great mystery. This you don't even have to name. You can just experience it. You can touch into the experience of something that is always reliable, always peaceful, always creative, always alive, always wise and warm-hearted. This is your true nature. And here is really a great piece of news, I think. You don't have to build it. You don't have to buy it. Amazon doesn't carry it, so shop all you want. You will never find this on Amazon. You had this before you were born, and you will have it after you die. You could say, how would you say this? You inherited it. Anyway, it's yours. So how do you get to know this reservoir of indestructible Ease and joy. We can, we can do it right now. Let's do this. Just let your body relax. Oh, I relax, I yawn. <laughs> it's been a long day. Let your body relax. And now let the thinking mind put down its labor for a moment. Just rest the mind. But be alert. Look at the mind that's resting. 
See if you can let go and relax a little bit more, but look at the mind. There. You feel it? Did you get even a little taste of it? If you didn't, you can just try that little one-minute exercise over and over. Don't try like try hard. Try like just relax and look at the mind. And maybe it'll take you a while to figure out what looking at the mind means, but experience the mind. Let the body rest. Let the mind rest and be present with that experience of resting mind and body. And there you will discover your greatest treasure, your indestructible ease and joy.